0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world.
1: Good morning, everyone. So good to uh, be with you, whether you're joining us online, whether you're here in the room. Really great to hear the hubbub of uh, community happening this morning. And I'd love to encourage you to continue those conversations after our service this morning. Uh, our coffee shop is open, once more fully open for dine in. So you're more than welcome to hang out, grab some lunch with people, and uh, continue uh, building community here. And if you're online, say good day in the chat. It's great to have you with us here this morning. I hope you're all doing well. I hope uh, things are traveling well in your life, in your family. Uh, I don't know about you, but these uh, long weekends are a bit of a catch-22. I love the, uh, the extra day off, but I don't love trying to cram that into the rest of a shortened week. Uh, but uh, we've got another one tomorrow, and uh, I trust that you find some ways to enjoy that. Hey, uh, we, uh, as Laurie said, we're in the midst of a series where we're looking at some letters to the church. And uh, we have been digging into Revelation and in this, uh, this incredible book of the Bible that we uh, are blessed to uh, have, to be able to reflect on, and to see how God is speaking to us through it. You know, we, we have this book because the Apostle John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos, had this prophetic vision. He was swept up and had this amazing vision that he he wrote down and shared with the churches in his day and age. And at the start of the uh, the book, there's a number of letters that John dictated from Jesus to send around to the churches. And as Laurie mentioned in our, in our life groups, we're encouraging people to write letters to the church. And I don't know about you, uh, I I don't ever really receive positive letters. In my mailbox, it's often junk mail, or it's a, a, a letter saying you owe money, or maybe somebody's taken a photo of my car and sent it to me. That's really lovely letters, aren't they? Now my junk mail mailbox is full of uh, election material, and that's just a little bit overwhelming. So it was really encouraging today, this week, to get some letters from some of our church people who are seeking God and 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 writing some encouragement to us as a church. And so I want to encourage us um, to do that. Write a letter to another campus. I want to share with you a a letter that we received this week, an encouraging letter. There's some good things in this letter. Let me read it. Dear Church at Gateway Mackenzie, it has been a real privilege to have been part of your church in some way for over 50 years. During that time, I've seen you grow from the building in Yuletide Street at Holland Park to where you are today. I've always felt a great love emanate from those who attended your church. Care was always a part of what you did. I remember you many years ago reaching out to the lonely in the area with a craft group. And then this expanded to reaching out to university students. There have been times of difficulty, as there will be, but God has not forsaken you. He has used each experience to strengthen and to grow the church." There have been many courageous men and women who have gone out to countries far and wide to share the good news of Jesus. So many people have been blessed and encouraged and now have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. Many have come and gone over the years, but the solid foundation of your church continues on. I'd like to encourage your church to continue to show that first love and to continue blessing so many people in our area and beyond. God is still working in your hearts to reach people. And I feel so blessed to be a part of what God is doing. You are fulfilling the vision God given to the church to be a light to this city, this nation, and the nations of the world. Blessings signed by the person who wrote that letter. Isn't that an encouraging letter? How good is God and his faithfulness to us as a church? Hey, come on, let's give God a round of applause. Let me pause and, uh, and just spend a moment thanking God for his incredible faithfulness. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us as a church. Jesus, in this church at Gateway, you've uh, you've been so faithful over 92 years. Lord, thank you for the heart behind that letter, for the person who wrote it, and for the way that you have grown this church and used it to fulfill the vision you've given us. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, today as we open up some other letters that you have written to your church, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to us today? And would you uh, remind us afresh of your great love and your great desire for us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at another letter, not to a church that began in the 1900s, but a letter written to a church 1900 years ago in the city of Pergamum. And as we continue these, as we explore these letters to the church in Revelation, it's important to recognize that they were specific encouragements and exhortations written to specific communities of people at specific moments in time. So it's important for us to understand the historical and the cultural background of these letters and the cities that they were written to in order for us to discern what God is saying to us through His Word today. So I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson today, I hope that's okay, about the city of Pergamum. Pergamum was an incredibly influential city in the first century AD. It was, uh, it was the educational, cultural, and a religious capital of this particular region of Asia that Paul wrote his letters to. All of these seven churches are in a, in a fairly small area in our day and age, based in modern day Turkey. And the, the city of Pergamum, is, uh, the ancient ruins are still there outside what's called today Bergama. But in 2,000, uh, 2000 years ago, per- Pergamum was a significant city. It was well known for its vast library that had over 200,000 volumes of work. It had one of the largest amphitheaters outside of Rome, and it had homes and temples to gods of every single kind. See, the prevailing culture in the Roman Empire was that there wasn't just one God. But like the, like the, uh, the Greeks behind before them, the, uh, the Romans, like most ancient cultures in reality, believed in a pantheon of gods. They believed that there were all sorts of deities, that each played a unique role in the founding of civilization and the shaping of people's lives. And you could worship each and every one of them in Pergamum. There was Zeus, the god of the sky, and and, and Zeus was worshipped as the king of gods, the one who ruled over all things. At Pergamum, there was a great altar built on the top of the hill, the Acropolis, overlooking the city, where you could go and worship Zeus, King Zeus. But if in Pergamum, you're looking for pleasure, then you could have worshipped at the temple of the god Dionysus. He was a God of winemaking, of revelry and fertility. And the festivities in his honor would lead to all sorts of drunkenness and debauchery. The Romans believed that this was the path to fulfillment. And that's how Dionysus was worshipped. If you wanted a good crop that year, well, you went to worship the goddess Demeter in the temple that was dedicated to her. She was seen as the provider, the one who was the god over agriculture. And she would bring a bountiful crop to feed the masses. And if you were sick, you'd visit the temple of Asclepios to seek healing. Pergamon was known to have one of the most significant temples to Asclepios in the known world. And people would come from all over to seek healing and restoration. Their healing rituals would include the priests inducing them into a trance-like state, these, these, their patients into this trance-like sleep, and then releasing snakes to slither and crawl across the sleeping bodies in an attempt to bring healing. Glad we don't do that anymore. Uh, but the modern symbol we have for medicine today, the one with the staff and the snake wrapped around it, that actually dates all the way back to this god, Asclepius. And all, if all of these deities, and there were many more, mind you, failed you, then you could always worship the emperor, the head of the mighty Roman Empire, the Caesar, He was elevated to the status of a god and he was revered as such. There were no familiar nicknames like ScoMo or Albo for Caesar. Caesar was worshipped as the savior and redeemer of his people. And Pergamum was the headquarters of this cult of emperor worship. So in Pergamum, anywhere you turned, you could worship a different god, a different idol, a god who was the king of kings another God who promised fulfillment through pleasure, a goddess who would provide, another God who would heal, and a God who would apparently save. The worship of these gods underpinned the entire society. Their temples were hubs of community. They were where you went to take part in commerce. They were where you went when you were sick. They were where life happened. So you can begin to see why jesus said to the church at pergamum i know where you live where satan has his throne i know where you live where satan has his throne all these gods all these idols all this work of the enemy yet the christians in the church at pergamum they chose a different path they lived a different life they put their trust in king jesus the one true god The creator who walked amongst his creation, the one who was the king of kings and the lord of lords, the God who promised ultimate fulfillment, the God who was a provider of his people, feeding 5,000 people with just two fish, two loaves, and five fishes, the God who healed the lame and the blind, healed the lame to walk and the blind to see, the promised Messiah who could truly save his people from their sins both now and And into eternity. Jesus, he was the one true God, the one whom the ancient scriptures spoke of when they said, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. This Jesus, he was the true God that the church at Pergamum worshiped. And following him was a radical act in this city. See, following Jesus meant that they'd turned their back on the many deities worshipped by others. And that was a high-risk adventure. These people, these early Christians, were seen as God-deniers. They were excluded from many aspects of economic and community life. They were rejected from the synagogues, and they faced great persecution because of the countercultural life that they led. Their decision to follow Jesus threatened their comfort, their peace, their relationships with family and friends, and their very position... In community. For Christians in Pergamum, there was no part of their life that was not touched by their stand for Jesus. And they remained loyal to him. Jesus encourages them in this letter. He says, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Amidst all this pressure, amidst all this persecution, at significant personal cost, even facing the threat of death and martyrdom, the Christians at Pergamum remained loyal to Jesus. And Jesus commends them for that. He says, well done, you, you remain true to my name. You are loyal to me. Two millennia later, following Jesus is still a radical act. We might not have temples to different gods on each street corner but we certainly live in a world full of false gods and idols. According to Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he says an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God and anything that you seek to give what only anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. The reality is, here in Brisbane in 2022, Jesus is no longer at the center of society for most of our culture. There are many idols competing for everyone's attention. There's the idol of self. The the mantra, you do you, pervades our culture. Many bow down to the idol of money and possessions, doing everything that they can to pursue and gather as much material wealth as they can. Sex remains a powerful idol in our culture today, from, from hookup culture to pornography and being used to sell everything from fast food to jeans. Our society worships to get today at the temples of busyness, comfort, and recreation. See, money, sex, identity, status, and work, none of these things in themselves are wrong or bad. But when they become more important to us than what God is to us, That's when it becomes dangerous. That's when they become idols and objects of worship. And the reality is God's word speaks to all of these issues. Jesus shows us how to navigate them with wisdom and still keeping him at the center. Yet in this day and age, following Jesus is still a radical act. As Christianity moves further and further, the edges of society in our post-Christian world it stands opposed to the prevailing narrative of our culture. And persecution, even though fairly is mild at the moment, it increases. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. You know, when, when people ask you what you get up to on the weekend and you, you might have the bravery to say, oh, I went to church, you kind of get a bit of a look. I feel it really intensely when people say to me, oh, what do you do for a job? And they say, oh, I say, oh, I work as a pastor in a church. It's a really great way to kill a conversation. But the reality is, a self centered, permissive society can be pretty hard on those who refuse to go along with it. Even the Apostle Peter recognized that. When he was comparing those who lived according to the world, he said, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. We live in a challenging world as a follower of Jesus, it is a radical act to bring, put Jesus at the center of our lives. And so for those of us who continue to trust in Jesus, those who continue to live this radical act of following him, Jesus' words to the church at Pergamum encourage us as well. You remain true to my name, he says. You do not renounce your faith in me. Church, Jesus wants to acknowledge your faithfulness to him. Despite the challenges of our culture, you continue to worship him. You continue to build his church. You continue to stay loyal to Jesus. And he's saying through this letter, well done, good and faithful servant. Keep pressing on. Keep going. Keep living this radical act of following me. Yet as we see repeated through most of the letters in Revelation, there are things happening at the church at Pergamum that Jesus does Want to challenge. Jesus says to them in verse 14 and 15, He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. It's never a good sign, is it? You know, you know it's coming. That rebuke is coming. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. See, there were some in the church who were tired of living differently. They didn't want to put up with the danger that came with following Jesus anymore. They were sick of the persecution. They were over feeling left out of what was happening in their city. And yet they didn't want to leave the church. So they wanted to themselves, they said, could we do both? Could we sneak into the temples of those gods and worship them, but still follow Jesus? Could we have a bit of a bet each way? Could we have one foot following the world and one foot following Jesus? Jesus answers them very emphatically, with a very emphatic no, and he called out their compromise. Compromise has long been a challenge that has faced God's people throughout history. Jesus refers to a period in Israel's history here, back when Moses was leading them, where they were compromised in their faith. They were compromised in the faith of their God who had led them out of slavery in Egypt. And instead, they followed after the gods of the Moabites. Balak was a a king, a king of the Moabite people, and he had a seer named Balaam. And Balaam led the Israelites astray. The account, the account of, this, of what happened in the book of Numbers is an incredible story. If you've got some time this afternoon, go home and, and read uh, Numbers 25 to 28. It's crazy. Now, this is just the start of it, just to give you a little glimpse. While Israel was staying in Chittin, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to, be, to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods, So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Some pretty strong language. And if you read a little bit further on in that story, there's some graphic things of what happened. And the the nation of Israel really suffered for their compromise. But just like these Israelites, the church at Pergamum had compromised their faith in God by bowing down to the idols of the city by worshipping false gods, and by doing so, engaging in immorality that was directly opposed to God's plan. Last week, Jason unpacked the letter to Ephesus in Revelation. He highlighted that the church there hated the idolatrous practices of the Nicolaitans. But here in the church at Pergamum, they had compromised themselves. They'd allowed that deceptive teaching in and allowed division to come in, and, and it was leading them into idolatry and immorality. I want you to hear this morning that in some cases, compromise is okay. There is wise compromise. In the context of a marriage, it might be helpful to to compromise on the the, the vehicle that you choose to drive your family. Blokes, a a sports car is not going to drive five kids around town. You know, for, for the sake of your colleagues and friends at work, there is some wise compromise around what to order for lunch. You don't have to go to town on that one and hold to your guns. Or, or amongst your friends, there's often wise compromise over whether you decide to go and watch a movie or go and eat somewhere for dinner. Wise compromise happens when we, when we compromise on our preferences. But worldly compromise happens when we comprom- compromise on our principles. And this is the compromising that Jesus objects to. When we compromise on the values of the kingdom of God, when we compromise on the essentials of Christian faith, when we compromise on moral issues, when we compromise our faith by bowing down to the idols of this age, elevating them above the importance that we place on God. And some of the strongest language in the Bible is reserved for those who live in this state of compromise. So why does God warn us so strongly about compromise? God is a jealous God. He says so himself in his word. But I think there are three key warnings about compromising our faith that God wants us to know because he cares for us. The first warning is that compromise is dangerously subtle. Compromise doesn't involve just giving up completely to worldly ways or ideals, but rather it invites us to accommodate them. Compromise doesn't start by asking us to fully abandon following Jesus and embrace an idol instead. Compromise says that we can actually have the idol and keep Jesus as well. That was what was happening at Pergamon. There were people worshipping multiple gods, going into the temples and eating food sacrificed to idols, engaging with the, the temple prostitutes, but then coming to be part of the church community and trying to follow Jesus at the same time. See, our culture whispers, where's the harm? No one will get hurt. Everyone else is doing it. Why shouldn't you? Come on, you can still do this and follow Jesus. And Satan works in this corrupting culture, prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour by seducing them into compromise. It's just a little white lie on your taxes. No one's going to check your references. No one will see what's on your screen. But the danger is we give in and we start to rationalize our compromise. The whispers come stronger. You've done it before. You can do it again. Remember how good it felt last time? Uh, The wife and kids didn't seem to mind. And compromise is dangerously subtle. It builds up over time and it doesn't take long for the practice of compromise to become a pattern of compromise. All it takes is for us to be a little off course and we can end up at a completely different destination. Like a current that causes a boat to drift, living a compromised life takes us off the course that Jesus has for us. And because compromise can be so subtle, we often don't realize how far we've drifted. And I think this is why Jesus' words are so strong to the church at Pergamon. Because this compromise is so dangerously subtle. A second warning about compromise is that it erodes our distinctiveness. When we compromise in our faith and when we begin to worship other idols, we lose what is uniquely ours as followers of Jesus. And when we start to look like everyone else, we're no longer living counterculturally. And as a result, we lose our effectiveness as witnesses to the gospel. A uh, journalist, uh, Ben Sixsmith, uh, who writes in, uh, in a, a periodical in America, put it, puts it like this. He says, I'm not religious, but if someone has a faith worth following, I feel their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and my values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. That's a really profound insight. In my late high school years, I had compromised many things in my faith walk with God. In fact, in all honesty, I probably wasn't walking with God anymore. I was a long way off course. I had bowed down to the idols of self and acceptance. And as a result, and I'm ashamed to say this, but I used to use terrible language. I swore like a trooper, just like my mates around me. Couldn't tell that I was any different. But when Jesus actually got a hold of my life, when I decided to make him my Lord and my Savior, when I completely surrendered to him, one of the first things he redeemed and began to sanctify was my language. It was almost like he changed my vocabulary overnight. And the impact of my friends was significant. They saw and they heard a huge difference. They wanted what had happened They asked how I had changed a habit like that so quickly. And it ended up being an incredibly powerful witness. But the reverse of that is true as well. If we live in compromise, we erode our distinctiveness as followers of Jesus. I wonder if you've seen this at play in your own life. Have you seen the power of your witness become limited when you start to compromise? Your distinctiveness for the gospel begins to erode. People can't trust your testimony because they can see your hypocrisy. Jesus wants us to refuse to compromise so that our light burns brightly in a messed up world. He wants us to remain true to him so that he can show his truth through us. A third danger of compromise is that it can, be, it can bring disastrous results. King David's sins of adultery and murder didn't happen in one single moment. If we read the accounts of David's interactions with Bathsheba, there's a, a series of escalating compromises that led to David with sleeping with her and killing her husband. David started by compromising on his kingly responsibilities. He stayed at home while the rest of the army went out to battle and war. He then compromised on what he allowed himself to see by lingering over the image of Bathsheba. And he compromised then on how he used his servants. Firstly, to seek out this woman, then to call her husband Uriah home. And then when his plans didn't go his way, to have his servants abandon Uriah on the front line of war. These ever-increasing steps of compromise led to a total collapse of David's integrity and it brought disastrous results on both he and his nation. Right now, it might not feel that you're compromising too much, but a lie here can lead to a massive cover-up there. A flirty exchange now could end up in a relational mess later. A one-off decision today could result in an addiction tomorrow. Don't let compromise lead you to disaster. Make the decision to refuse to compromise This is the message and the challenge of this letter to the church at Pergamum. And it may not be as difficult to follow Christ's day in uh, in, in 2022 as it was in the first century at Pergamum, but we're still constantly surrounded by the temptation to compromise on God's word, compromise on his values, and compromise our faith with the current thinking of our culture. If we're not alert, we can easily fall into worshipping the false gods of our culture today. Maybe you can already see this in your life. There are things that are more important to you than God. Things that you turn to before you turn to God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you the things that you've compromised on. I want to ask a challenging question this morning. What is your idol? What's the thing that you bow down to that is not Jesus? What is that thing that you are just so tempted to compromise in? What do you fall into the trap of? Because that's what Jesus was convicting this church at Pergamum. But he gives them some direction. He doesn't just abandon them. There is the question that we would ask, so what? What do we do? We recognize this. What do we do? What are we going to do? Well, Jesus gives a really simple answer to the church. He says this in verse 16. He says, repent. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. To those living in compromise in the church at Pergamum and in the church here at Gateway, Jesus says, repent. Turn away from your compromise and turn back to him. Start afresh. It is better to hear God's word, repent and receive his grace and forgiveness now than to continue to compromise our faith and be judged by him in the future. Jesus uses some really strong language here, with the sword of his mouth referring to the judgment that one day he'll return to a minister. But right now Jesus welcomes uh, welcomes with forgiveness. He says elsewhere that there is much rejoicing in heaven over one person who repents. He loves to welcome his lost sheep back into his fold, and his grace covers a multitude of sins. It's really plain and simple this morning. If you're compromising in your faith in any way, stop it. Just stop it. Pull the plug. Remove the influences. End the relationship. Do whatever it takes to stop and follow Jesus' words, to repent. Acknowledge your mistakes and seek his forgiveness. Confess to someone and be accountable. Refuse to compromise. I believe that Jesus also calls us to reconnect He continues in verse 17. He says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There is a sense here that Jesus calls the church to listen to him together. Following him is not just an individual journey, it's a journey to be done together in community. And in this season, as we emerge from the many waves of COVID, I believe he wants us to reconnect with one another so that we can listen to and apply his word together. See, community is important. We are designed for community. But we've been living in a season where we've compromised on prioritizing community. We've become socially isolated. And sometimes that hasn't been just our choice. And you know, we found it difficult to gather together. There's been restrictions. There's been all sorts of questions. There's been uncertainty. We found excuses, though, to not meet together. Oh, We're not doing life in community. We're not opening God's word together. We're not supporting and praying one another. Let's face it, it's actually much easier to stay socially isolated. It's much simpler not to have to juggle all of those extra connections in community. In the moment, it's easier just to let it lay. But the longer that we stay isolated and disconnected from others... We start to realize that we've actually lost something. Our spiritual health, our emotional health, our relational health, it's not as strong if we're still socially isolated. Being together is incredibly important. That's why Hebrews says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I want to challenge you this morning and ask you, are you in a life group? Is your life group currently meeting? I'm speaking to myself here. Our life groups met once this year. Not good enough, Tim. Need to change that. Have you fallen out of that life-giving habit of community? If so, now is the time to reconnect. Find a few friends and start a new group. Reconnect with that old group and, and explore whether it's time to get back in, To meeting together. If you're not sure how to do that, we would love to help. We've got some great resources that would help you. Every series, we create life group booklets that help provoke discussion. We've got some excellent resources that help life groups just begin a life group starter pack. But right now, there's a significant need in our church as well, just for people to open up their homes and to host life groups. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be a a, a Bible nerd. You just have to have a heart for hospitality and a desire to welcome people into your life. You can have someone else lead the group. Or you can use our really simple life group starter resources to begin with. But I want to challenge us that now is the time to reconnect. And we would love to help you connect in with a life group. If you're wanting to join one, if you're wanting to host one, you can just simply let us know by filling in a connect card. You can access that at our website online, or you can scan the QR code on the seat in front of you. We would love to bring people together and help you get connected to one another. But through all of this, all of these challenges, all of these encouragements, Jesus promises a reward. He says in, uh, at the end of this letter, he says, To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the ones who receive it. To those who persevere in their faith, those who are victorious over compromise, Jesus promises a reward. And the references to hidden manna and white stone might seem a little obscure to us, but the church at Pergamon knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. See, the manna was the food that God provided to the Israelites in their 40 years of wandering through the desert. But a small portion of that manna was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant by Moses as a reminder of God's faithfulness to feed and nourish his people. That's God's promise for us today. He promises to feed us, to nourish us, to be faithful to us. And the white stone refers to another meal, See, in the Roman world, these invitations to significant events were given on little stone tablets, a little like the, uh, the wedding invitations or the birthday invitations that we might receive in the mail or from our friends. In the Roman Empire, a white stone engraved with your name on it would be your invitation. It would be your ticket to entry into a significant event. And Jesus here is promising a ticket to the greatest event of history an event that is referred to elsewhere in the book of Revelation, the event that is the wedding feast of the Lamb. See, one day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. He will triumph over all evil for all time, and he will fully and firmly establish his kingdom. All of God's victorious people will be together with him, rejoicing and worshipping the conquering Lamb of God. It is Jesus. And a huge feast and celebration is held in his honour. John had this this picture of what it would look like in heaven. And all of heaven is roaring and shouting and worshipping. Everyone is bowing down and worshipping God, crying, Hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. John hears an angel say these words and he writes them down. He says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited. Jesus has an invitation for you today. A white stone with your name engraved on it. He promises to remain faithful to you. And he wants to invite you into the most significant moment in all of history. As he writes to the church in Pergamum, and as he speaks to us today, Jesus calls us to refuse to compromise. He wants us to stand strong in the face of culture. To remain loyal to Him and to avoid the dangers of compromise. And this morning He calls us to repent, to reconnect, and to share in His reward. And I reckon there's no more appropriate response or way to do that than in sharing communion together. Communion is a meal that we share together, it's a simple meal of bread and juice. And it reminds us of Christ's sacrifice, His body. Given for us, His blood poured out for us. Remembering His death on the cross and the sacrifice that He made for the forgiveness of our sins. Communion reminds us that we can be forgiven. We can experience His grace. It's a meal that we do together. And I've loved that we have the opportunity to come together and and, and come down the front and share communion once more. If you're not quite ready for that, you're not comfortable with that, there's gonna be a, some welcome team people up the back with the pre-packaged communion cup as well. We don't want you to miss out. But if you're a follower of Jesus here, this is, this is a meal that we get to share together. And it's also a meal that looks to the reward. When Jesus instructed His disciples to continue to share this meal, He said, I will share with, it, with you again. I look forward to sharing it with you again. As we anticipate that wedding feast of the Lamb. And so every time we remember that Christ has promised to come again. So this morning, we're going to share in communion as a response to this letter to the church at Pergamum. There are tables down the front. There are tables up the back. The welcome team will have the prepackaged communion as well. But in a moment, I want to invite you to, uh, to come down the front or head up the back and pick up the bread and the juice, and return to your seat, and just in your own time, spend a moment with Jesus. Seek His forgiveness. Ask for His grace, and remember His sacrifice. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you while you're doing that. Ask God to highlight those areas of your life where you are compromising. Ask Him to show you the idols that you are chasing after. Come before Jesus and confess to Him, repent to Him. Ask for His help in starting afresh. Allow His grace and His forgiveness to wash over you as you remember His death for you. Let's recommit our lives and our loyalty to Jesus this morning. So I want to invite you as these guys play, they Are going to sing a song that is a prayer for us? A prayer that we would chase after only Jesus, that He would be enough for us. I want to encourage you to come and take communion. If you're watching online, go run into the kitchen and grab the things, come back and in your own time. Maybe you want to kneel before God in confession. Maybe you just want to bring that idol to the foot of the cross. But just spend a moment thanking Jesus for His grace, accepting His forgiveness, and restoring Him to His rightful place on the throne of your life. Together, let's uh, share in communion as the band leads us in the song.
2: You're my constant chaos, you're my compass, when the road is long, you're my portion, never failing for me.
0: of this world
2: could never satisfy for me, for me, only Jesus, for me, for me, only Jesus, for me, for me, only Jesus.
1: Jesus, we come before you this morning. We come before your cross, Lord. We just want to say sorry for the times when we've compromised our faith, for the times when we've chased after things rather than chasing after you. Jesus, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation, Lord, we thank You for Your grace and Your forgiveness, Your mercy that covers a multitude of sins. Thank You that You welcome us back, Lord God. But this morning, Lord God, I would pray that You would help us to burn brightly for You. You would help us to lift You back to the rightful place that You should be on the throne of our lives. Lord, help us to live lives that don't compromise Help us to live lives that bring glory to you, that shine brightly as a witness to your gospel in our world. Lord, we want to pray against the work of the evil one who would try to seduce us and distract us. God, I pray for each and every person here in the room, joining us online. Lord, that you would, uh, you would build our faith. You would strengthen us to stay the course. Lord, you would help us to live lives that glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. All God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to continue to worship and we're going to uh, we just continue to sing this prayer that our hearts would be full of Jesus. And then we're going to spend some time praising his name as well. Remembering that He is the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who will return, redeem His people and establish His kingdom forever and ever. Let's worship our God this morning. Cry out to Him.
0: In my heart for You, just You. Let my heart want for nothing but you, just you. Please
1: and ever. Lord, thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for the reward that you give your faithful people and the promise that you give us for eternity. We praise your name. Lord, would you help us to go from here, being changed and renewed by your Holy Spirit day by day. Would you help us to live as powerful testimonies in your world.
0: We ask in your mighty name. Amen.